previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. What I like is when somebody is off camera, I want them to be just as genuine on camera. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 32 of the Sports Refuge Podcast, the show where guests discuss their connection to sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. My guest for this episode is Mike Gordy, someone I've known for close to 30 years as I went to elementary and middle school with him. Known for his love of San Francisco sports teams, including the 49ers and the baseball giants, Gordy has also become a passionate fan of combat sports, including boxing, mixed martial arts, and pro wrestling. In this episode, Gordy and I discuss his career as a regional sales manager for Austin Eastsiders, music in the 1990s and 2000s, pro wrestling, and the extent of PD use in sports. Right now, here's my interview with Mike Gordy. You know, when it comes to some of the guests I have on this podcast, it's always interesting. I always talk about how I have a connection to these guests. And some of the people, it's from all walks of life, from my journalism experience, from people I was influenced by, and as people I've known for years. And my next guest, I've known him for, man, I guess about 30 years, Mike. Yeah, roughly 30 years. Yeah, Mike Gordy. I've known him for 30 years, 30 plus years. We went to school at North Salisbury. Did you go to Y Middle? Yeah, Y Middle. My brain is scrambled sometimes. It's like, ugh. I was like, man, because some people went to Y Middle or then went to Bennett and then other people went from Bennett to Y Middle. So I never can remember that. It's like, it's like the whole Mandela effect. Sometimes you put people in situations and places they weren't even there. Right. Yep. That's our age catching up to us, man. That's. <laughs> I used to always pride like having the mind of a steel trap, but I already know the the mind's getting a little rusty. Uh, don't beat yourself up too much. It happens to us all. Oh man! So how are you doing today, Mike? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, just enjoying this uh, beautiful summertime weather, and you know the Eastern Shore of Maryland. This time of year, perfect. It's not super hot yet. The humidity hasn't attacked us, so I'm loving it. Interestingly, you work for Austin Eastsiders. How did you get into that role and what is that position and what was the big draw to that job? Okay, so previously I worked for uh, our wholesaler slash distributor for Maryland uh, out of Baltimore. I was, uh, it's Legends Limited, they're based in Baltimore, but they sell beer and cider and uh, a limited amount of uh, liquor products throughout all of Baltimore and DC. Uh, I covered parts of Anne Arundel and Howard County. And uh, when Eastsiders launched Maryland and DC, they needed a representative for this area. The gentleman who later became my boss uh, encountered me throughout uh, the launch period and uh, basically recruited me and offered me the position. I took it, it was a great offer. and it was kind of more of a right place, right time thing. We had a great connection initially. Uh, he thought I'd be a good fit for the company. Um, they take culture very seriously. And he thought I would be a good fit with the company and the other employees as well as representing the brand properly. So it was just kind of a, it was a good fit from day one. So what is it like, especially being a regional sales manager? So I cover all of Maryland, D.C., Virginia, and Delaware. So... As one person representing a brand, uh, time management's your biggest ally and hurdle. I wouldn't even begin to tell you off the top of my head what that square mileage is, but three states, especially one as large as Virginia, 
uh, trying to cover that, you really need to be, uh, I call it kind of like a sniper. You need to pick your targets, who you need to visit very strategically. Um, the why is very important because you can only do so much as one person and you're competing against brands that have, you know, some in some cities and three or four people in multiple areas. So as one person, it's just really important to manage your time as best you can. Um, try to leave a good impression. If you can be memorable with a customer and have everything be really buttoned up and your sales presentation be something that lasts, you can briefly tell a story because you know, as if you're a buyer for a restaurant or a bar or a beer store or a grocery store, you're getting solicited all day, every day by hundreds of people, literally. So if you can stick in that person's mind as a person, as well as your product, then that's your goal. So, and to be able to do that and stay in mind is important. And then at the end of the day, you have to have excellent, uh, an excellent product. And that's an advantage that I have built in is we actually do have something that's worthwhile and that people really seem to enjoy. Before we get a little further into the sports part of the interview, what would you say the biggest sale was that you landed? Um, for me, I would say... Ooh, that's tricky because it depends on who's listening. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say uh, the biggest one would be uh, there's a German beer garden in D.C. It's a uh, soft house. They are easily uh, my biggest customer, and uh, just being able to deal with them because uh, they have a huge impact on our business was the biggest one. And just building that relationship and being able to uh, go into the into their place of business and immediately have a good rapport with the owner. That was a huge deal. And that kind of helped really give us some momentum and exposure in the DC market, which is a huge beverage market overall. So traveling must be nuts. I assume that there's rarely a week where you're not traveling. Um, yeah. So I would say on average, I'm driving, just driving alone. I probably put uh, anywhere from forty-five to fifty-five hundred miles a month on my car, and then uh, you know at least once a month I'm out of my market, either you know and as far north as Connecticut or Rhode Island, or as far south as Georgia. Uh, and we're looking to expand into Florida as well, so I'd imagine that's something that's going to happen soon too. So yeah, there's a lot of traveling, but I enjoy it, so it's not a big deal. Pretty cool. I can't imagine doing all that much traveling. I mean, I'd like to do a commute by itself. 30 something miles each way a day. Yeah. I mean, it's the same place. I don't get to see different places as much as you do. It sounds like the way I kind of look at it is you know, just like anything else. If you do something enough, you get used to it and you know, your norm is your norm, you know, and there was an adjustment period, but it happened so quickly that, you know, I, I was fine and uh, I enjoy it. And believe it or not, that me time on the road, is actually kind of nice. What do you end up listening uh, to normally when you're driving? So uh, I've caught a couple of your podcasts. I'm, I'm a big podcast guy in general. Podcasts are probably 75% of what I listen to. Um, obviously, music, you got you got to get some music in, especially uh, at nighttime. If you're a little tired, you need something to kind of get the adrenaline going and keep yourself a little bit awake after you've had a, you know, a Red Bull or some coffee or something, you know, you crank some tunes up and hit the gas pedal and try to get home or wherever you're headed. I always thought, especially driving at night, 
and I know I'm starting to feel tired. I put the windows down. I put the music up. I just decide, got to start singing something to keep the brain going because rarely do you think you're not going to fall asleep singing. You're going to yep. at least be somewhat focused, and this way you know, okay, I know maybe got another 30 miles or so, and at least then pull in the parking lot, maybe fall asleep in the yep. car then, but at least hopefully just get to where you're going because oh driving at night that seems like such a scary preposition you you don't really see it happen people falling asleep in the daytime while driving you, you nailed it you absolutely nailed it i you know i've tried to find something upbeat that i'm familiar with and sing it at the top of my lungs <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head <laughs> What are you listening to now? Because I honestly, uh, I was having this discussion with people. I feel like the older I've gotten, I've sort of aged out of modern music now. And uh, basically my repertoire just basically maybe up to 2000, 2003 and just back. And I just felt like maybe the old soul in me has come out and just, you know, 60s, 70s, a lot of, a lot of old school R&B, a lot of 80s, 90s stuff that, I try to listen to. I just, I don't know. I just can't get a lot of this music today, which I feel like an old man yelling at a cloud, but no, no it's, I'm basically the same. Um, there's a tiny bit of new stuff that I'll stumble across. I like, but it doesn't seem to be very much. It's usually more from right around, uh, the early two thousands and back that I really like, uh, I'm a big time, big time '80s music guy. I've had a lot of debates uh, with people. I think the '80s is the most underrated music decade <laughs> because uh, the music seems to be a little bit more upbeat and happy. I don't know if we were just a happier country in the '80s or something, but the music just seems like it's very celebratory. Uh, especially pop music is very pop heavy in the '80s. It seems to be so. I, I enjoy that, but obviously, you know, I'm I'm a '90s kid, so all '90s hip hop. Especially the you know the more commercial stuff, your your early Jay Z, Nas, Biggie, Tupac, Dr. Dre, Snoop, all that. That's that's my bread and butter still. And it's interesting. In a previous interview I did with Paul Butler, one of the things I talked about with him was about radio and just how it's changed. And remember. Listening to OC104, we heard Hootie and the Blowfish, Dave Matthews Band, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Tupac, Hathaway, all the different types of like right. house music, European music. And it felt like it was just so strange. You didn't think you would get such an eclectic mix on that station. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, every little bit of music that you can think of was on there. And then, you know, lately it just sort of migrated to being more hip hop and R and B, which again, right. is fine, but it's just not my type of hip hop and R and B. And that's no offense against OC 104. I, I picked them out because I just, that whole focus and that narrow mind. And that's one of those things we grew up listening to, but it's right. just one of those things. It's the, the music has changed and, and I'm not knocking it. It's just not my tea. Oh yeah, I totally understand it, you know. And uh, I was the same deal. And I think a part, another reason maybe we kind of had a little bit more diverse uh, taste is there were only a handful of stations to listen to, and they kind of all played a little bit of everything. You know, you had the Q one hundred five back then, and uh, ninety three five, and stuff like that, and uh, or was it ninety five nine? So yeah, I mean, I listened to Green Day and a bunch of other stuff back then too. And I, I liked. Pretty much anything, really. So it was a and, and if you listen, if you were to see my Spotify playlist right now, it's a, a hodgepodge. There's no rhyme or reason or 
pattern. It's just whatever I'm in the mood for. So Red Hot Chili Peppers, Jay-Z, Diggable Planets, whatever. And it's funny. There is one, I think, one really criminally underrated station in that Ocean City, Salisbury, Lower Sussex County area. It's 101.7 KISS FM, the original one that came out of Ocean View, where Ron Banks uh, and a few right. others were on there. That used to be the station I listened to. It's either OC 104 or or the original 101.7. And right. know, to me, at least, well, that, that's what it was. And that was the best thing. I remember I'm sitting in my house. I got my radio, my portable one with the little CD up top. So this had to be about yep. 99, oh, 2000 yeah. <laughs> because I always think I had this Will Smith Willennium album. And at the time I had my stuff, everybody was listening to more hardcore stuff. Eventually I caught up with that because like I said, on my list, I got put your hands where my eyes can see um, dangerous, a lot of Busta Rhymes stuff and all that other stuff. And you know, I caught up with it finally, but that was the best thing. They always had this gimmick on Tuesdays. They would do two for two. They would do two for Tuesday where they would play two songs by the same artist, or sometimes they play an old version of a song by an artist and then a new version of a song by a different artist. And they would just keep that pattern. It's crazy. There was one where they actually did the original version of Ready or Not, Here I Come. And they sandwiched that in between the Fuji's ready or not, here I come and Missy socket to me because it used the same socket to me, used the same Thanks. rhythm and open just as, as that's the original version. And it's like, wow, you pulled three songs out on the two for Tuesday. That was crazy. That's a true DJ. That's somebody who really appreciates the music and sampling, just wanting to share something they thought was cool with whoever was happened to be listening or whoever was lucky enough to be listening at the time. Yeah. And it, listening to music now, I, I couldn't tell you, who the artists are or what the song is. But like I had one day where I'm driving in traffic from New Jersey to Delaware and I got caught in the traffic and they have the five o'clock mixes that they do. And there's a point where they play the songs in a row. You can pick out what song's coming next by just listening in the background. You can hear particular rhythm, particular beat, a particular sound. And man, I was like, I can see that coming from all the way. That's Will Smith or that's Busta Rhymes or that's Digital Underground. And it's just crazy. Like, Rarely, nine out of ten times, well, I'd be wrong because nine out of ten times, it's like, yeah, I know that song, I know what song's coming. It's uh, you know that's it's that's the beauty of music, you know. And for whatever reason, uh, I was driving from Baltimore to Richmond this week. Certain songs, it seems like a lot of them, they stay with you. You could not hear a song for fifteen years, and the, that first couple notes comes in, and you're like, oh, it takes you right back. You're locked right back in. You remember all the words and. If somebody had asked you, you know, without you hearing it, remember, do you remember this song? You might not, or you might, but once you hear it, it's it just all comes right back. It's so crazy how that works. Every lyric, every like the every hook, and it's like, wow, I didn't even think I remembered this song. Or sometimes it's like yep. I didn't even like this song, but I still remember. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, nostalgia, nostalgia, there's something to be said for nostalgia. Yeah. Even if you didn't like it at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It's like, man, it's like, I wasn't big on this Nelly song, but damn it, I know the words here and there. I mean, you, you'll never, it oh, never yeah. gets old. But yeah, one of the biggest things I know I want to talk to you about, especially in addition to music, it seemed like we found that, that com one of the first common bonds. I know you're a big sports fan, and 
Growing up, I remember you've always been like a big San Francisco sports fan. I remember you had the San Francisco 49ers starter jacket. And, man, that was a time back then. You can think everybody and their mother had a starter jacket. Either it was cross colors or the starter jacket and it, it, or the champion jacket, too. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the champion jacket, but you don't really see them that much anymore. And I just think, man, that was just a crazy time. But, yeah, big fan. You were a big fan around that time, especially they were making that transition from Joe Montana to Steve Young, and they continued their success. And and you were a big Giants fan, too. I remember you talked a lot about Barry Bonds and Matt Williams, and yeah, this is right around 94, yeah. so the strike. And that was just crazy, and it's just a lot of things just popping into my head like all at one minute, at one all in one moment. See, so flustered, I can't even get it out, but all in one moment, they, they just popped back into my head. Yeah, uh, so it's funny because a lot of people, even back then, would say, oh, you know, what's with the San Francisco thing? And so my grandfather just always had a love of West Coast teams. I don't know what the rhyme or reason behind it was, you know, uh, especially USC football. Um, you know, obviously the San Francisco Giants, uh, he liked the 49ers um, at that time. So right around then, that was towards the end of the, the L.A. Rams run, so there uh, you know, and then obviously the Oakland Raiders were, they were still the Oakland Raiders. They weren't quite the LA Raiders. And then, or they just, yeah, they had just become the LA Raiders. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. Um, but he's just a big fan of the West coast teams. And I kind of followed suit with that. And, you know, with the excellence of the 49ers, you know, with that tradition that Bill Walsh started and with the work, that entire organization, and you, know, you look at that and it really, uh, I had a conversation with, uh, my boss, from work about how you see a lot of similarities in business in sports where you create a culture and you set a standard and when there's a, the right individual or group of individuals are in place and they know what they're looking for and they know what type of people they're looking for and they bring them in and they, they hold people accountable and tell people, you know, this is your role, this is what we expect of you. And, you know, we, we're going to allow you to execute it. And then they do. It just creates this energy that builds momentum and it just seems to roll on. You look at what the 49ers were able to do through that decade. When they're, and, you know, you look and there were a lot of great football teams throughout the 80s and into the 90s. Uh, you know, the 80s Redskins were great. The Ra Raiders had some great teams. The Giants, you know, and, and they were able to maintain some success. You know, honestly, had a little bit better success than all of them. And, you know, they were really well managed. And I guess you could say it was Walsh was the key cog because he had his hands on everything as a personnel control and coaching and all that. And it was just, you know, obviously the West Coast system and what he was able to do with finding a quarterback that was basically an extension of him on the field, first with Joe. And then I was always really more impressed with what he was able to do with Steve Young, taking this raw form of just athleticism and molding him into this efficient quarterback that when you look at the, you know, when you look at Steve Young in Tampa versus what he became in San Francisco, the difference is night and day. You know, people underestimate how important coaching is. And if, if you know, if there's ever a testament to how important it is, it's right there. And speaking of Walsh and coaching, you always think about, he has the preeminent coaching tree. Everybody under the sun probably coached for him in some way or some link. Mike Shanahan, Dennis Green, 
Oh, man, there's George Seifert, of course. There's probably so many more I can't think of all the top of my head. I feel like, uh, oh, see, Mariucci. Um, I feel like John Gruden was some way affiliated with that. Um, and maybe Andy Reid. I feel like there's a lot of guys. Yeah. Hol- Holmgren. Well, Holmgren was directly under him, and then that's where Gruden and Andy Reid and, uh, oh, man, who else was an assistant under him? Um Brian Billick, uh, you know the list kind of goes on and on. It's it, yeah, it's just crazy when you really when you look at it and break it down. How many of these guys learned under him? And then you know I've read a lot of Bill Walsh's books, believe it or not, and he actually credits all of it from what he learned from Paul Brown, all the way back at the Cleveland Browns. And you know, and it, Paul Brown's thing was all the best coaches are great teachers, and Andy Reid. Mike Holmgren, Paul Brown, they were teachers by trade. And I guess there's something to be said for that. I mean, the results kind of speak for it. Oh, yeah. And it's been interesting that you mentioned Paul Brown. And I always think of how Bill Walsh almost didn't get the Niners job because apparently Paul Brown thought so highly of him that he decided not to to allow him to uh, interview for a lot of coaching jobs. And that's right. pretty he crazy. Wanted, yeah, he wanted to hold on to him. I mean, I – you can't blame them. A lot of times, you know, uh, nowadays especially, it, it's something where it's like a it's a, a pride thing where, you know, a coach has an assistant that's, you know, he sees the potential and he actually wants him to go out and be successful maybe, uh, especially if it's toward the end of the other coach's career because he's, you know, he's like, this is my guy. He's my protege. I want him to go out here and, and succeed. But back then, he's, you know, maybe Paul Brown's thinking, this guy's really sharp. I don't, I'm don't. i not ready to compete against him. And, yeah, that was one of the things. He didn't really want him to go out there or, uh, and have to deal with him. Or maybe he, maybe he didn't know if he was ready or not. But, yeah, I've heard that he, he didn't really want him to interview for any other positions. And, you know, unfortunately for the 49ers and anybody who liked the 49ers, he, he was able to get out and, and build something that was pretty special. Yeah, and it makes me think of Josh McDaniels, and and we were going to talk about this anyway, Bill Belichick, and you feel like Josh McDaniels might be the guy in waiting for Belichick, especially to take over New England, and after the, uh, I guess, the disaster that was in Denver that he took over, I guess he has a lot of confidence in McDaniels being the one, especially everybody else who's been an assistant has gone, Bill O'Brien, Romeo Crennel, uh, Mike Vrabel. Um, oh, Matt Patricia, there's just plenty of guys. Oh, Eric Mangini, uh, just ton of guys that were under Bill Belichick and often went out. Some of them had success. Others didn't. And other people were sort of uneven, had success here and there. But McDaniel seems to be the heir apparent. The question is whether Robert Kraft or the Kraft family will decide, uh, we want to go our own direction because you're no longer the head coach. We're gonna go our own way. Yeah, it's, I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, you know, Bill Belichick is is uh, an interesting uh, is in an interesting position. You know, with some of the rumors you've heard that you know maybe him and Robert Kraft's relationship is different. You know, the, the whispers that Belichick was kind of ready to move on from Brady and Kraft wasn't, and that created some issues, but. Since that rumor kind of crept out, they've won another Super Bowl. So, you know, and they say winning cures everything. We'll see. But uh, I don't know. It's I'm of the mind that the magic is really with Belichick 
based on what we saw McDaniel's do in Denver. I don't know. I don't know how much of what we see the offense do is really McDaniel's, or how much of it's Brady, or how much Belichick's involved. Um, you know, we've seen some of the. I think it was a 2009 documentary with. Brady and Belichick, where they are, it seems that they actually go over the real specific game plan alone and look at some of the game film of the, or the upcoming opponent and have go over some concepts and some ideas with them before the offensive meeting with Brady and the, the other coaches and all that. So well, I don't know. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years or who knows how long Belichick wants to keep coaching. And, you know, Brady said he wants to play till he's a million. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> And we were talking about Belichick before, and we talked about it on Facebook. His tree is very unique because it's not just coaches. It's executives, too. You have Scott Pioli. You have Ozzie Newsome. You have a lot of other coaches that we mentioned previously. And you think about it that his tree is so big. And he also basically set the direction for two franchises, the Ravens which yep. a lot of people don't think about because he set that culture for the Browns. And when Art Modell right. moved them, it stayed there and he made Ozzie Newsome his GM. If people go to YouTube and check out the uh, a football life, Cleveland 95, it just goes through all that tumultuous nature of that season, finding out, well, we're moving this team to Baltimore and you just see the work that goes in it. And it's such a different time because those guys who were scouts and assistant coaches, they were doing the maintenance. They were cutting the grass and all this other stuff. And it was just sort of one of those old school type apprenticeships learning under uh, Belichick. And he learned a lot, too. He learned to be a little more tight lipped when it came to news and how to deal with the fallout of calamity around you. I mean, the gate's probably nothing yep. on figuring out, well, we're about to leave this city. We don't know what to do. Our jobs are in flux. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it definitely seems to have shaped his approach to everything. You know, if he kind of, you know, it's, it's more of a, you know, we're not going to share anything. We're not going to talk about anything. We have that more clandestine approach, just I'd imagine out of his own experience with what happened in Cleveland. He, he doesn't want that unrest and all that craziness to influence the team. You know, he just wants to focus on what happens in between the lines and the rest of it's noise and we're not going to worry about it. And, you know, so far it's, it's worked out pretty great for them and you know, they've had a lot of success. And it's just, I, I think it's pretty cool watching what they do and how they're able to kind of change their identity week to week and year to year. And, you know, and, and like you said, with what Ozzy and Bill learned together, on a personnel standpoint, you know, if you look at the body types of the Ravens players and the Patriots guys, they, the teams tend to look a lot alike, uh, especially up front. Um, I'd say typically the Ravens and the Patriots typically, they seem to have a larger defensive linemen, larger linebackers, especially the Ravens seem to have stuck with a little bit longer, uh, especially on the defensive front. I don't think they have anybody under 300 pounds on the inside at all. Uh, you know, Oz, that's just Ozzy's philosophy. You can you can tell when they pick a guy. You know, I joke around all the time. I'll see a guy in college and look at him and I'm like that dude's a Raven. Like he's you know, if, if any team's going to draft him, it's the Ravens. He's a he was born a Raven, and if he gets drafted, he's going to play in Baltimore for sure. Going on to some of your interest in sports as well, what is the biggest sporting event that you've attended? 
Um, I've attended. Um, that's a tricky one. Um, so what I would say is, uh, for me, would be uh, I've been to a couple uh, wild card and divisional round um, football games. Uh, the Redskins Packers wild card game. I guess that would have been in twenty after the twenty fifteen or maybe twenty fourteen season. Uh, when the Packers came into FedEx and beat the Redskins, and the uh, 2006 wild card game, the Colts um, Ravens. But prior to those, it would have been the All Star game at Camden Yards. That was that was magical, and you know we were younger, and that was maybe like the fifth baseball game I ever went to anyway. So it was just really cool to, to go to that. And at that time, any baseball game would have been awesome. It was just really cool to just go and see a professional baseball game at that point in time with the love I had with baseball at that age. Um, so as far as for me internally, I would say that uh, the All-Star game uh, and seeing, you know, all-time players and, see, you know, I don't think you can pick a kid from the 90s and not find a Ken Griffey Jr. fan. You know, the, uh, to anybody who's roughly, what, maybe 38, between like 38 and 30, 40 and 30, you mentioned the name Ken Griffey Jr., a sports fan, they're going to have some type of memory or, or something to say about it. Um, and obviously, being from Maryland, your Cal Ripken memories and some of the stuff like that. And then obviously, me personally, especially that year and then moving on, Barry Bonds is pretty sweet. So, so internally that, but just... Now, as an older guy, football being my favorite sport, any football game is a big deal for me. I know there had always been, especially lately, a big clamoring, especially in baseball, to try to reduce the length of games. And I know a lot of times <laughs> those games are about three hours long. And then other times, especially, uh, I think, a couple of games last season or and maybe in 2017 with the Orioles, there were games that were under, there were like two and a half hours and things like that where, you know, they watch the game, the game's over, regardless if they win or lose, that game's done well before you either have to go to sleep or, or anything like that. I don't see there's as big as a knock of the pace of play of an NFL game and they are longer, much longer, sometimes by five or six minutes longer on average, than MLB games. And I think there's a lot of dead time in between when everybody's moving the chains and things like that before they wind up the clock that there's an equal amount of dead space in an NFL game than there is a baseball game. I guess because of the the way that the, the space is broken up in a football game, um, you know, the ball snapped, the play unfolds, you're kind of figuring out what happened, especially if you watch a lot of football on TV and you go to a game. If you haven't been to a game before, I'd say it takes maybe a quarter to even figure out what's going on because you can't see everything as well. You're trying to figure out where the ball is spotted. And, you know, God forbid there's a good play action because then you're lost for a second or two. You know, and you're trying to find the ball. And, and you don't have an announcer right away telling you who made the play or who's on the field and so with football, you're, there's a, a lag between what actually happens, you figuring it out, and then by the time you're, you've gotten all your bearings, and then you probably take a peek at other games. I feel like football fans watch the other game scores and what's going on more than maybe a baseball fan. 
because there's, you know, at a, during a one o'clock game, there might be what another seven or eight games going on at once. So there, you know, I think there's more distractions that are football related. There has to be some explanation with the flow that doesn't happen at a baseball game. You're just kind of sitting there, and I don't think there's as much energy. With a baseball game, you're kind of sitting down. There isn't as much happening. You know, there's especially if there's not a hit. You know, there's a pitcher throws a ball, catcher throws the ball back to him. He wanders around on the mound or something like that. So there's not that like really nothing happened. You're just kind of all right, whatever. You might check your phone or something. So the uh, energy of each segment's different between football and baseball. I think that's really what, for whatever reason, it just doesn't affect the average fan the same way. Yeah, and I think especially Ravens and Redskins games as perfect examples, there is a ban. So the ban is going to get them amped up. And even in college sports, the ban is going to get somebody amped up. I honestly have never been to a University of Maryland basketball game, but I've been to a University of Maryland football game. That band is rocking, even though they play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme repeatedly, but they are rocking, (laughs) and I feel like that gives energy, especially to sometimes when it's much needed, and I say the perfect comparison, a playoff game, a playoff baseball game is probably as equal to what you might see at a Kansas City Chiefs game in Kansas City regular season, a Monday night game, because it's a very raucous crowd. And I feel like something, especially about night games, the crowd is nuts. I feel like all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're just going ape. And I feel like that's a completely different atmosphere than a baseball game unless it's something in October. Right. My theory is with, you know, there's 162 baseball games. You get 16 regular season football games. Each little thing that happens in a football game means you know, roughly 10 times more than what each little thing that happens in a baseball game. You only have, in a, you know, and at home you only get eight games. So it, I just think the impact, people just respond to it differently. And then, right, like you said, then with the playoff game, because everything's so important, that's when that energy really kicks in and the atmosphere is totally different. You know, one example I just thought of to use for to compare baseball, baseball is just like, your everyday life because most of the times it's pretty routine. Normal stuff happens. Sometimes you notice you'll have that extremely weird day where stuff either goes extremely well in your favor or extremely wrong. And it's just like most baseball games. Most of the time it's pretty routine. Stuff's going to happen. Then somebody hits three homers in a game or somebody throws a no hitter. And then it just goes back to routine pretty much. I, I just started thinking about that as I got like stuck in a three hour traffic jam on June 7th. That was how nuts it was. A traffic jam basically caused what normally would have been a 20 minute ride off the Delaware Memorial Bridge to a three hour ride. Ugh. Been there. And it was, you know, it's just that one little random occurrence can take everything off course, and then you're stuck thinking, like, what just happened? This is terrible. It made me think, thank goodness I had gotten gas. Oh, boy, I would have messed up if I'm, like, really slow. <laughs> and then you got the light beeping. It's like, okay, I know we need gas. I know I need to fill up. Yeah, the strangest stuff happens sometimes, and that's why I just thought about it. It's pretty routine most of the times, and then... That's how the best way to compare baseball to everyday life. You know, and, uh, I've, it, this is uh, my, my probably my most controversial opinion, and uh, I'll leave it to everyone's imagination, but I 
I don't know if it's – I'm pretty sure I haven't changed that much as a sports fan since the 90s, but for some reason, baseball in the 90s just seemed to be way more entertaining. Um, things were a little different then, and I, I just think that uh, – the offense was was more, uh, you know, there was a lot more robust lineups, and things just seemed to happen a lot more. And I, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed '90s baseball. <laughs> Honestly, that's a good thing. I was going to mention, and because I, I was, we talked about Barry Bonds briefly. The thing is, this I have no issue if someone is going to use steroids to play. The only thing is, this you have to openly admit that you use steroids. And this way, then your marriage can be judged compared to someone else. Because in this way, we all know there is no assumption that, oh, is he clean? Is he not? If he said, you know what? I'm using steroids. Hey, that's that player's own health down the road that they have to worry about. It's not mine. It's not like we're getting uh, duped. Like, you know, I see it like this. It's just like any form of professional entertainment. If we're not entertained, then we're not going to be happy. And if you tell us that you're using steroids, that's cool. You're in a different category by itself from the guys who are playing legit, and that's cool. And I, as long as you're honest about it, right? The way I kind of look at it, and, and I, I kind of separate baseball from football with that because, um, and you know, I kind of put football and maybe like a mixed martial arts and boxing in a different category because you can hurt somebody if you're bigger and stronger and faster. Versus with baseball, the, you know, the, the danger, the risk for danger is obviously a lot lower. Um, uh, you know, and I've, honestly, we know, we watched guys on steroids playing baseball for 20-some years, I'd imagine, or, you know, close to 20 years. And at the end of the day, you know, you still have to hit the baseball if you're a batter. We know pitchers were juicing, too. Um, and really, if someone's under the supervision of a doctor, I don't think it's that dangerous because there's guys who aren't professional athletes that take uh, testosterone replacement and, and other hormones and things like that. And, and the side effects are, are not super dangerous. And now if you're at like bodybuilder levels, that's when you start to have those adverse effects when you're taking 200 times the amount of what, you know, someone should take. But I think ultimately if you're an adult and you're not being, irresponsible you should be allowed to do something that's entertainment it's not that i don't think it's something that we should hold as a as as immoral for somebody who's an entertainer taking something that enhances what ultimately is a game yeah as long as you openly admit you use it that's the biggest thing you can't right. say i didn't use it and then all of a sudden you test positive and like the Raphael palmero thing it's it's crazy because that has so many wrinkles to it the palmero thing is this jose canseco said the particular drug that he remember giving Palmero that showed up in his system. But Miguel Tejada gave him the B12 that he thought was B12, and that showed up in his system. So the question is this, that Palmero thing is always going to sit out there, especially it's even worse because he waggled his finger in front of Congress. If he didn't do it, I mean, he didn't pull the Sammy Sosa, I don't speak English, or the Mark McGuire, I just want to talk about the past. I, You know... I, I think they would look at, especially Rafael Palmero, particularly differently, as it made it even worse that when we think about like, and I and that's a completely different story. But look at Chris Davis when he got busted for using uh, Adderall when he did not get his therapeutic use approval, and he still used it anyway, even when he was told you can't use it. 
uh, people weren't as bad uh, about Adderall because that's something a lot of people in their everyday lives need to function. Right. Yeah. It's And it's all perception. It's all about what people think of a specific drug, you know? Because if, if you think of it in the right light, birth control is a steroid. Birth control is an exogenous hormone with a specific... Uh, goal of you know impacting someone's body. In this case, it's not to make their muscles larger, but it you know it is. There are side effects, and you know, so but no one's oh well they're dangerous or it could do this and anything. You know, you just go to every drugstore in the country has them, uh, and most of them have testosterone too. It's just that people aren't aware that how many of their dads and uncles or coworkers are taking testosterone replacement uh, you know but as just like anything else as awareness increases and now that that's something that or it, it was allowed in you know some combat sports but once people become more aware of it who knows 20 years from now we might know oh man you know the first baseman for the Orioles had a great career up until he was about 35 his numbers started to slide down he went to the doctor. His doctor said, oh, your testosterone's low. Well, yeah, because you're a little bit older. Let's get you on TRT. And then suddenly he's an MVP caliber player again for another five or six years. It could be something as simple as that or whatever. I, I think science kind of continues to progress. I think sports are going to be impacted by that. Plus, we always know there's stuff that people don't even know about. There's guys on stuff that aren't going to test positive because they're on something that they don't know about yet. Oh, yeah. And it's funny, it's weird combination of music. Like Victor Conti, he was big in the whole Balco thing. Interestingly enough, he was like a guitarist for the, the R&B group Tower of Power. I did not know that. But man, it's just crazy when he's like, how did you go from being like a bassist in the group to being like the godfather of steroids? Well, he, I guess he was, because he's not even technically a chemist. He was just like basically like a hobby chemist he was just kind of into that stuff and that was his foot in the door yeah that's just ridiculous i just don't understand that it's just it's absolutely insane just the the huge jump he goes from playing the guitar to to making designer steroids yeah you're just like you're saying like there's i can't think of any other i can't think of any parallels where someone just was in one field and then essentially just picks up something that you know they're contemporaries have masters and PhDs in and this guy with almost no credentials becomes like the leading expert in this specific uh, area of the field and changes the landscape of whatever it is in this case it was sports it's crazy yeah and also we were talking about steroids and you talked about MMA and boxing I look at pro wrestling that was more the steroid use was more for just recovery because they have a brutal schedule and for glamour because even Ric Flair talked about he used steroids just more for looks. And, and you know, I imagine you some guys don't get the opportunity to work out on the road, but if you're supposed to look a particular way, you don't want to be out of shape or not look like it because then you don't live up to the, the look that people expect you. You know, Dusty Rhodes could have been Dusty Rhodes looking the way he did, but Rick Rude couldn't look like Dusty Rhodes and still be Rick Rude. Right, yeah, you know, especially, you know, you're on the road 200 days a year and with their lifestyle and, you know, they're literally driving all night into the morning, you know, it's hard to then work out to the level that somebody with his physique would need to to maintain that 
and eat the way they would, and then, you know, work a show, or maybe two sometimes, and then drive it all night again without some help. You know, you're not at home, you don't have access to, you know, cooked meals, or easily cooked meals and stuff like that. You can't control your diet <clears throat> the same way someone who comes home every night does. You know, and plus the stuff that they did do at night when they weren't driving, that didn't help the situation either. Yeah, and it, when you hear about some of the guys now, the younger guys who are about our age or maybe younger than that, they don't partake as much as some of the older guys did in a lot of partying. And it seems like that was a knock on some of the young, younger guys. Oh, all they do is play video games and stay to themselves. I mean, not everybody's going to be like Ric Flair and shut down the the bar at the uh, Sheridan Inner Harbor Hotel in Baltimore. I mean, you know, but then you look at it and the guys from, you know, especially from our childhood of watching wrestling, how many of those guys are still around? How many of Ric Flair's contemporaries are still around? They lived really hard. Uh, just even if you did everything right, quote unquote, and didn't do the extracurriculars, just from that traveling and and how the, the the toll that that sport takes on your body, that will have some consequences. Then you add to the fact that they're drinking and and all the other stuff they were doing, and and then you throw steroids into the mix. Yeah, you're probably not going to live to see seventy or eighty. It's a miracle he's alive. It's and you know, and I'm I'm glad he is, and I'm a huge fan and a huge fan of all those guys. And you know, our generation, I, I think we're really lucky, uh, our age group, to have been around to see the heyday of. Cause I I think that you know, entertainment wise, that it's not even close now. I don't think the product's close to what it was. Um, I'm not knocking these guys, and uh, you know, they they do a great job and. Uh, the WWE is still a great company, and, and I think uh, AEW is going to do some cool stuff. But what we saw in the 80s and 90s is some pretty cool stuff. And I, I think that, you know, it's still something that I think about now, 20 years later, 25, 30 years later. It's crazy. Yeah. And even in using Hulk Hogan, for example, who rarely got injured. He has back problems. He has rods in his back, uh, maybe botched surgeries. He's had his knee and hip replaced and things like that. He can't even do a leg drop, and everybody's like, if he gets in a ring and takes a bump, he might shatter his back to the point where he might not even be able to walk again. And it's just crazy. He was in ideal shape, didn't take as many bumps as everybody else, and he's still pretty bad, almost 70 years old. It's, you know, and you think about a Mick Foley. What does his skeleton look like right now? You know, what? how does he feel every morning when he wakes up? I don't even know because I haven't seen or I haven't uh, heard any updates on him in a long time, but like a Sabu or some of those guys that were really, because, you know, with some of the injuries they were having at the time, and, you know, uh, even though he didn't take as many bumps, I don't know what his hips are like, but I know like a Rey Mysterio, his knees are destroyed, and it's, you know, the sacrifice that those guys... Um, made in the interest of entertaining kids and, and grown-ups all over the world, and it's, it's pretty cool. And I, I think that anytime anybody is willing to do something, because it's not like they went into the business blind. They know that you're going to be taking that this sports or this uh, uh, form of entertainment is going to take a toll on your body. The someone that's willing to do something like that, I think that's a pretty cool thing. And, and, and I've always been into that. Uh, obviously. Uh, more so when I was a kid, um, just because I think it was 
a little bit more entertaining. I like the the ring psychology. I think they told great stories in the ring. And just the style of match was a little bit more entertaining for me as I start to sound more and more like an old guy. But <laughs> it was, uh, I think, that pro wrestling, the really unique form of entertainment, I think anyone who approaches it with an open mind and you can kind of explain it to them if they're willing to listen and really watch it would be entertained by anything it's, it's proven. Yeah, and I think about Rey Mysterio, and I just start thinking about WCW and those cruiserweights, and he had to be barely 20 when he was starting to do a lot of that stuff. It's crazy. You think him, Jericho, those guys were young now, and Jericho's almost pushing 50, and Rey Mysterio, even after a point where he had to take a time off because his knee was destroyed, he looks like he hasn't lost a step. It's insane. Um, you know, taking care of your body and you know, putting the time in and maybe a little bit of luck or genetics or who knows, but, you know, just to see what these guys are capable of is, is pretty awesome. I haven't been to a live event in forever, and that's something I'm probably going to try to get to just to uh, enjoy because I haven't seen one in a while. And, uh, it's a pretty cool uh, thing to now with the WWE Network to go back and look at some of the cool stuff that, that was uh, going on in the 90s and early 2000s and even seeing some of those nitros and that were in Salisbury back when we were there and uh, checking some of that stuff out and trying to relive some of that. Yeah, and when it comes to a lot of those 90s things, they haven't put everything up there, and I feel like they need to put everything up there because those shows interconnect and tell the whole story because what happened on Monday Night Raw will go into what happened on Superstars, and what happened on Superstars you might see on Wrestling Challenge or The Action Zone or things like that, and you don't get to see a lot of that stuff because it's not up yet, and some of it may never get up there, and... I'm waiting for all the WCW Saturday nights from basically like 93 on because that's when I started picking up the early part of 94 right before Hogan came into WCW because I had been watching uh, WWF about maybe before SummerSlam 94. So it was basically after WrestleMania 10 and right before SummerSlam 94. And that's where I picked up on that. Okay. Uh, so I, I am aware... Um of a uh, YouTube channel that has all the old-school WCW Saturday nights. Hmm. Uh, I can share that link. I don't want yeah. anybody to get it. I don't want, too many, I don't want that channel to get too many views because then we don't get it. But uh, they have a bunch of those, and it, it's it's funny, you know, back in, the, back in the day. And actually, I wanted to talk to you about this or get some thoughts from you on this. Uh, with TBS, you know, and WCW's uh, affiliation with that, obviously that was a huge thing with uh, Turner because of all the distribution they had. But I also uh, had a conversation with a couple people about how I think that impacted um, the 90s Braves and how many people were into the Braves and aware of the Braves. And just because it, if you had cable, chances are the Braves were on your TV. I know as much about the 90s Braves as I do the Orioles because they were on TV every night. Oh, yeah, and it also depends, I think, by region, too, because if you didn't have TBS, you had WGN and you got the Cubs, or you had WOR and you got the Mets, and it all depends. I think that might have been region. Those three super stations, there, if there were any other ones, I can't think of them. Those were the three that basically come to mind, and I remember watching, because I had satellites, so I still had TBS that had the super station before they sort of pushed off the Superstation whole name and WGN. I would see Cubs games and I started watching Cubs games on WGN. It was right 
it was actually the year after Harry Carey died. So it was that season, 90, I think it was 99 or so. And so that there was Carrie Wood and then all those other things. And I would see that and I would always watch the Cubs games just for the seventh inning stretch because that was probably one of the best parts. And when they start doing a lot of those things where even on ESPN, when they would have a game at Wrigley, they wouldn't show the seventh inning stretch, which is like, how could you not show something like that most of the times? And I, I, right. I just couldn't get it because that's the biggest part. Every stadium has its quirk. Every baseball team has its quirk. And the seventh inning stretch and Wrigley, which also was done in at uh, Old Comiskey because there's a bunch of like old YouTube videos of Harry Carey singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game for the White Sox. So that's that's odd seeing that, too, because I, I couldn't believe it. It's like, yeah, right. I, mean, I know he did it, but it's still sort of something in my to take mind. Right, in your mind, it's Cubs strictly. You know, it's funny you say they didn't show it, you know, during the actual game when they would show it on SportsCenter sometimes – you think that that would be a you know that's a good programming note is to highlight that for any you know uh, Sunday night baseball game or any highlighted or feature game is show us the unique feature of that park or whatever they do in that town or at that stadium so that it's something that might draw more people to come to a game or just create something to make people check it out like maybe if you're not even a big baseball fan but you think it's cool that. And, you know, just to see, oh, what do they do in Chicago or what do they do in Seattle that's unique or what, you know, what do they do in Kansas City? Yeah, and I feel like something that's also along the line of, like, how wrestling was in the 90s, ESPN has significantly changed from what it was, especially that 93 to maybe 2000 era. I feel like it was still the little network that could, still had its quirks and everything. And I could think of like little segments they would have during sports centers. They would have Peter Gamma's diamond notes. They would have inside the huddle with John Clayton. They'd have the campus notes with Ivan Mazel. They would have basically every little quirk. And it's just crazy to think that I, I understand. I don't even think it was the Disney sale that really changed it. I think it was just trying to get that whole mainstream appeal. Once you try to go mainstream, you lose everything that, that made you you, and which is sort of why I always think of, I liked College Dropout. I don't care anything else that Kanye West does. But College Dropout was the one for me. I don't listen to anything else, but maybe that's the best equivalent. To me, ESPN of the 90s was College Dropout. Now, I can do without it. Yeah, I barely watch it. Um, I will say, you know, and there's a, there's a couple reasons why. Um, I will always check out Van Pelt. Um, I think SVP is the last link to that previous uh, generation of, of ESPN where the personality of the network was shown through the programming. Where, you know, just like you said, all the little segments, was what really we were getting kind of a peek into is the real people that are behind the scenes. And it just created this, there was a character um of each person, not like character in the sense of them being phony or acting, but that that actual person's character or their personality kind of shining through in a good way, um, almost like it was a small little network in Bristol and not the worldwide leader, as they you know kind of uh, name themselves. I think that uh, Scott Van Pelt and his sports center at midnight is the only thing that kind of 
alludes back to that. So that's basically the only thing on the ESPN I enjoy. The couple times that I'm able to even stay awake late enough to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and I just go back. I could always think, uh, and I, I mentioned this and I always bring it up. When I think of old school ESPN, I remember sometimes I'd get up super early because, you know, it's sometimes... I used to, instead of being a night owl, I used to be that person to get up like 5, 5.30, and I didn't have to get ready for school until like the bus didn't come till like 7, 7.30, especially before you have to make all the little transfer shifts from Y Middle to go to North Salisbury and things like that. But I would get up, they would have maybe Keanu's Flex Appeal or something on maybe at 9 a.m. at this time to stay at home. They'd also have a half-hour version of Up Close at 5.30 to take you into the repeat of Sports Center, which ended up being a half-hour, and you'd either have Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on one. You'd have Charlie Steiner and uh, maybe Steve Levy. Um, I think Britt Haber and uh, Craig Kilborn. I, I couldn't remember most of the pairings. Um, and it's just such a thing that's ingrained in your head and it's like i cannot believe it it's that it's just that that once you heard that that guitar riff and then the saxophone you mm-hmm. knew it's on for a good 30 minutes or an hour depending on what version they do or if you get that sunday night repeat you get the 90 minute sports center because they have the uh the interview and you knew man this is gonna be good try to catch as much as i can before the bus comes by p.s shout out to kiana's flex appeal throwback that was that was great. I have uh, I haven't heard those three words in a row in thirty years, twenty five years. But that was that was like my first like sneaky like guilty pleasure I think in life. Uh, Kiana's flex with you. That was awesome. Uh, oh yeah, I remember trying to uh, get up early enough to catch that. And I, there was another uh, similar show that came on in the morning. Uh, the host was a guy. But I always took a peek at the ladies at the beginning of that as well. I'm trying to think who um, it is. I, I think I know who you're talking about. I also know there's Denise Austin. Denise Austin had her show on there as well. Um, man, I can't think of mm-hmm. the guy. Um, yeah, I don't what know. Was it like, for some reason, Lee Haney is the name that pops into my head, but I don't know <laughs> if that, that's it or not. Uh, he, Lee, I think he was a bodybuilder. Um, he might have had a show, but the guy I'm picturing, um, he kind of he, he had like a like a dark. He, he had, I think he might have been maybe uh, Spanish or uh, Portuguese. He had a, I just remember dark. He had dark hair and a mullet because it was the '90s, so everyone had a mullet. But yeah, that really took me back. It like totally wiped my mind when he said Keanu's flex appeal. <laughs> but yeah, Sports Center. Sports for the 90s, it's just one of those things that, you know, it'll never be recreated. There's no going back. And it's kind of, I think, you know, a, a lot of ESPN's issues now is the way that TV is changing and, and media itself is changing with podcasts and freeform and all that. You know, I think stuff like this is what people really want. You know, they kind of just want uh, where people can kind of share their ideas and there's it's unformatted and free-flowing. I think that's uh, more appealing for a lot of people. Or if they, if they want something that's uh, more of a kind of a quick-fire thing, they'll just go on the Internet and maybe just watch some highlights real quick without the commentary. They don't really want, like, the, the summarization or the wrap-up portion. And I think the personalities of those guys shine through and it didn't seem like it was genuine. It didn't seem like it was fake. 
and you think of even some of the local sportscasters that we would see on TV and just like where we live, we got all the different stations. We got DC stations. We got Baltimore stations, of course, Salisbury stuff in our backyard. And I always think I always go back to George Michael and, you know, bombastic type of personality. And, and after interning with him, that is legit, you know, a little sedated off TV, but when he was on, he's legit and he was right. uh, good to go. Cause sometimes you can't keep that energy up, you know, 24 seven, but yeah, Guys right. like that, the personalities, and I feel like they they shine through. Now I, I don't know. I think everybody's generic. I think it's like the equivalent of two thousand wrestlers, where it's generic guy in black tights with a tribal tattoo and some type of <laughs> faux metal song that's their interesting. That's basically what it feels like with ESPN anchors. Nobody right. really stands out. <laughs> it's just a bunch of, of uh, yeah. They're all kind of the same, you know. And I, I don't know if it's if that's like a company mandate or they're not hiring, like, you know, obviously there's people out here with the personalities or maybe they don't want to go that avenue. You know, maybe the personalities are like, I'll just kind of do things on my own or I'll go my own route. You know, I, there's guys on Bleacher Report that have personalities. There's guys that have their own deal or, you know, there might be some guy we don't know about yet. Who's the next big thing. That's got 800 followers on YouTube today, but could be, something else tomorrow yeah Heck, it could be you in a year who knows who knows i always think that, like i don't really watch it because i'm not a big soccer fan but the men in blazers show seems very interesting just sort of the the kookiness and stuff that goes with it when it comes to soccer i just can't get into it as to like i'll watch hockey and and no doubt about that um, hockey i'll watch that uh, any day over soccer. The good thing about soccer is it's so time efficient it's done in under two hours and you can go on with the rest right. of your day Right. I, I take a peek at it uh, when I remember it's on. It's not something that uh, I don't look for it, but say if I'm like at a bar and it's on, I'll watch it, especially if it's like Champions League or if it's uh, English Premier League or some of the, um, even like the Italian League, or if, it's, or if it's a team I recognize and there's a, a player I know, and then I'll, I'll take a peek. But uh, it's not programming that I'm hunting for, at least not yet. And maybe if you know if the if America, um, you know, finds some way to kind of emphasize it more, it might be something that I might get into. Uh, and I will say my interest definitely has grown in the last five years or so. So, um, and I think that if more American kids play and we have more players playing at the highest level, I think that will feed the interest. And you know, obviously, if there's more people from here, I'll probably be more interested too. Yeah, I definitely think being able to see someone you might recognize or that might sort of represents you, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, more Americans there, maybe it's like, okay, we're going to be interested in this. So, you know, we'll have a following, but I, I can completely understand that. But one of the things also I wanted to mention and talk to you about, I know you're big in MMA and, and boxing and like the combat sports as well. What do you think the state is of boxing right now? Um, So I, I think... Boxing is, you know, like anything else, my opinion. I think in this climate, boxing's biggest issue is there's so many divisions, there's so many belts, It's there's so much... Um, I feel like there should be some type of streamlining. Almost kind of like how right now, you know, in, in mixed martial arts, really, as far as the, the most people are concerned, it's the UFC and then everyone else. 
And I think if, if you know, if, if the IBF or the WBO or, or one of the sanctioning bodies was like, listen, we're going to be the headliner. Somebody needs to kind of take the charge and say, you know, this league, or if there was a league, this is the league. We have X amount of weight classes. These guys are the best guys. We're going to put on fights on a semi-regular basis and to kind of keep more attention on boxing on a bigger scale more frequently. I think that would just kind of draw more attention. Um, I because I think the average person, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, and you know, because don't get me wrong, I love boxing, I love MMA, but I think the average guy still is into boxing more, especially your older sportsman. You know, and I think there's still uh, a large demographic of of people that are in the sports that would be more likely to buy a boxing pay per view than the mixed martial arts pay per view. And I think if there was some way to just kind of streamline things, because I think ultimately you need stars. And how you make somebody famous, you need a personality, but you also need to see them to recognize them. You need to find a way to get these people's faces in front of people so that they're recognizable. Uh, I think that, you know, there's only a handful of famous guys in the boxing world that, you know, if you were to go to Chick-fil-A right now and stop the first person you think might be a sports fan and ask them the name... 10 professional boxers right now. They're probably done after three or four of active boxers. And I, I just don't think there's any superstars to the casual sports fan anymore. I think that's boxing's biggest issue. There are fight sports in general, really, but it doesn't seem to be a, biggest issue, a big issue uh, for uh, MMA, and I don't think there's any financial issues, but I just think there's still runway out there. You know, like, you look at, like, the 80s and in the 90s, there's no... Roy Joneses, there's no Mike Tysons, there's no Evander Holyfields right now. There's nobody who's a household name, really, that's boxing. You know, well, with Floyd, but he's not really an active boxer. Yeah, and I think especially, like, Triple G, everybody was sort of on the Triple G bandwagon, and then that loss, it just sort of changed everything because everybody's hoping, man, the Triple G keeps going, keeps going, maybe he'll call out Floyd. Maybe Floyd might answer the call, especially if there's money out there. And I right. mentioned before in a previous episode, we'd all be disappointed because it ended up being like a defensive match, which is great if you were a admirer of boxing and good boxing and good defense, but I think everybody would feel like they got ripped off. I mean... I honestly don't watch boxing like that. If boxing's on TV, I'll give it a shot and look, but I'm not going to go out of my way to pay the money to watch it. I, I just won't. And I feel like getting ripped off sometimes because there really hasn't been a boxing match that lived up to the hype what since even Floyd, Connor, And then to me, the last boxing match that I actually actively paid for was like Tyson Lewis. That's saying how long it was because other than that, I wasn't going out of my way to find all this stuff. I mean... Yeah, it's, it, you know, because there's nobody that excites you. There's no one that you're like, man, I can't wait to see this guy get back in the ring. The most famous boxer in the world right now, Floyd, isn't exciting for most people to watch. And, I, you know, and I would never knock him for it. I think he's obviously super skilled, and uh, I think that his style suits him because i at the end of the day, his job is to win every fight he steps in the ring. So I would never knock him for his style, but it doesn't actually help the sport that the most recognizable face isn't knocking people out and isn't putting himself in harm's way uh, the same way that some other guys do. But you know, that's not his job. Isn't to put himself in harm's way; it's to win. 
Um, I just wish there was some way to kind of streamline boxing because I know there's got to be somebody out here who's okay to stand in front of another guy and bang and take a couple shots and willing to trade. And you know, if we were able to just kind of package them and present the right way, put a handful of guys in every division and let them kind of go, and even if the guys aren't necessarily uh, world class, then at least it would be entertaining and it would be something that would bring attention to the sport and get people excited about it again. I just, cause you, you don't really hear much talk about it. Uh, I remember being a kid and, you know, my dad and his buddies talking about all the Tyson fights. And even, even though they were kind of angry that they pay so much money for a, a two round fight or, or a one round fight or whatever it would be, they were still excited and they would still talk about it. You know, you think about it, you know, they would, the a uh, uh, 90-second fight would ha- be conversation for weeks. And now no one talks about it anymore. It doesn't. It's not even really a thing. And for me, any sport that uh, I'm into or have been into, not being uh, as popular as it could be, isn't to me it's a bad thing. And I think the powers that be should try to find some way to prop it up and, and make it more entertaining. I just think I go back to the wrestling correlation thinking about all these different um, organizations when it comes to their belts, it's just sort of like how you got all these other smaller um, independents that started in like the AWA and things like that is because, well, the NWA doesn't think this guy should be the champ. Well, like, screw that. I'm going to leave and make my own promotion and make my own money and make my own champion. And that's how it started with the, I feel like with the, all those other boxing ones, because nah, we don't think this guy should be the champ. We don't think he should be fighting for the title. We'll move. We'll start the WBO, the IBF and all this other stuff. And I I don't want to confuse any of the boxing organizations with, with root beer. So I don't want to call him the IBC championship because I doubt that's what it is but i feel like that's what happened and uh, streamlining would be great because maybe that's it two or three organizations we don't need like six or seven because i can't even keep track of it. it's like alphabet soup and i feel like you have these things and even the ring magazine world title i can't even affiliate that with everything else and i'm always wondered who gets to anoint who is the best pound for pound in, in what particular weight class. I don't know. And maybe that's just me not being the educated boxing fan. I mean, I keep trying to remember the four criterion to judge a match, even though I keep forgetting like two or three of them every now and then. But I feel like sometimes it can be a little convoluted in boxing. Yeah, it's it, and you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. It's just a lot of, uh, you know, just there's too many organizations. There's there's just this big gray area. It's just all too nebulous, and, and I, th- I don't think that it makes it easy to navigate as a fan. And all the marquee fights cost money. There's an entry fee to watch a potentially good fight. There's not, you know, there's you don't have like a regularly scheduled, pretty decent fight that you know that somebody can just go, okay, I know on Friday night. I'm going to watch somebody who I recognize on television, be it on ESPN or Fox or whatever it might be, um, at least not now. You know, there, there, there are fights that are, you know, there's Thursday night fights or Friday night fights and all this other stuff, but I don't know who any of these guys are. Uh, you know, and I feel like there's got to be some way to do a better job of marketing some of these guys to at least um, allow the casual sports fan to recognize some of them because at the end of the day, there's no way that that hurts the sport. 
awareness can't hurt the, the sport. It can only bring more business, more eyes, more advertising dollars. Give you the ability to make bigger events and do cooler stuff. You know, maybe give these guys some health care, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> some. It's funny. You mentioned that promotion, and I always think, watching Monday Night Raw on USA in the 90s, what's the biggest thing they promoted other than Silk Stalkings? Tuesday Night Fights. You would see big names on Tuesday Night Fights, and even though I didn't watch boxing back then, because I'm 11, I, I didn't really think anything of it, but Tuesday Night Fights used to be the biggest thing. They used to pimp every commercial break on WWF Monday Night Raw, uh, aside from Silk Stalkings and Pacific Blue and all those other shows that they would have. No, Femme Nikita and things like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they that's the USA Network. There's, you know, but that's the thing. You know, they they knew back then that wrestling brought an audience that fit their sweet spot for their target demo. You know, they knew what they were doing. Okay, so we want that. What is it? Eighteen to thirty male demographic because they're going to spend money on pretty much anything we put in front of them, and they watch wrestling. So. That was your alcohol commercials. That was your, you name it, magazine commercials, TV shows, whatever it could be. Any product that they thought that they could peddle to that group, you saw the commercial for it in wrestling, and you know, obviously it worked. So, but it, uh, you know, because I can remember, it's funny even now, I hear uh, Lord Alfred Hayes saying promotional consideration paid for by the following. Yeah, and that's funny. The YouTube channel Wrestling with Regret uses that a lot. So that's right. Yeah, they do. And it's like, man, you know, man, man, Lord Alfred Hayes. Lord Alfred Hayes has probably been dead for almost good 10, 15 years, but you'll still hear that wherever you go. I would just like to have them do that for Monday Night Raw now. Just like, oh, wow, I did not expect that. But that would actually mean I'd have to watch because the last time I watched was maybe the. Um, the Raw before WrestleMania, maybe the Raw after. And other than that, I have not watched in a long time. Um, I watched the Hall of Fames. That's really it. Other than that, I just watched the network and I listened to a handful of podcasts, you know, for more nostalgia purposes than anything else. Yeah. I, like, I have, I listened to Tony Schiavone's podcast and I listened to Cornette. Um, I used to listen to Bruce Pritchard, not so much now. It's just, I don't know. I just feel like Tony Giovanni's has sort of just exceeded that and just because oh, yeah. the, the goofiness that occurs to that. And it makes me think about, uh, as I mentioned it, I feel like, I always feel like we're referencing previous episodes, but the biggest thing that you watch, Monday Night Raw, the end of the episode is always pretty much wrapped up. The, the whole, everything that happened was wrapped up. But then on Nitro, you know, everything's going crazy. Then Sting drops down and like, we gotta go, we're out of time. That's pretty much what right. it is. It's like, man, oh, why couldn't you stay with it? And it's like, uh, I don't know. I feel like that was like distinct differences between what WCW did basically up to 98 before they fell apart and then what WWF would do. Yeah, they're just the programming was different, and it's funny you mentioned not listening to Bruce's podcast anymore. For me, a couple, because I don't listen to it as much as I used to either, a couple things. They focus more on, lately anyway, more on stuff after I stopped watching. So, you know, St. Valentine's Day Massacre 04 has no significance for me, because I wasn't watching wrestling. Um, and they don't cover... And it's kind of the same top, kind of the same point. But they also don't cover. It's like I don't know if Conrad's waiting for certain things, 
but they don't cover some of the stuff I really want to hear. I haven't heard enough stuff about The Rock. I mean, like, you could never tell me too much Shawn Michaels stuff. You can't tell me too much Stone Cold stuff. But I want to hear more of Kurt Angle stuff, you know. Um, and then, obviously, I, I listen to Tony's podcast. Plus, it's just silly and all the Blue Chew jokes and all that stuff. And, and I've been listening to, to JR's podcast now. I wasn't before, but the format's better with Conrad asking JR about stuff. Um I think, and it's pretty cool to actually hear Jim Ross, the person, and kind of see his real personality come through. I didn't know JR was funny. I never found him funny before, and he's actually a pretty funny character, and uh, and some of, the, some of the stuff that he's already kind of opened up about and shared about some of his extracurriculars as well, I found pretty entertaining. <laughs> it's pretty cool to... It's, uh, anytime I can get a uh, peek into the real life of somebody who I basically grew up listening to their voice is a, is a cool thing for me. I would have killed when you say that, especially extracurriculars, if they did before he passed. A Mean Gene podcast, that would have been interesting just hearing the stories that you always hear, especially the, what Tony Giovanni talked about and what Bruce Pritchard talked about. A Mean Gene podcast would have been very interesting because I can only imagine that might have been the only other person, despite his medical condition, who probably would have outdrank Ric Flair. That's probably the only person I can think of who would have did that. Right. It's 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 uh it's really cool, you know, hearing uh them kind of talk about how great of a guy uh, me and Gene was or when they all you know they all reminisce about Gorilla Monsoon and how great of a guy he was or um, even though Tony and Bobby Heenan had their issues what they t you know he still has lots of glowing things to say about him and uh, it's just you know that peek behind the curtain on anything that uh, played such a big part in your childhood is pretty cool, and it's uh, it's. I look forward to some of those podcasts, especially if it, it you know you, I peek in my Apple Podcasts and it's a, a pay per view or something I vividly remember. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to hear this. And, you know, there's times I've I've had, uh, you know, with my commute, uh, oh, I have enough meeting, or I, I know I'm going to go see an accountant in Baltimore or DC or somewhere in Virginia, and. I'm driving, I'm, I look at how long the podcast is, I'm like, okay, so it's going to take me two and, two and a half hours to get to this account. This podcast is three hours and ten minutes long, so I'm like, okay, I'll start listening to it in the shower, so I don't have to stop it right when I get there, or whatever, you know, whatever is going on. Um, it's just neat, and then, of course, every time I'm listening to this, I stop and I think, and I'm like, man, Conrad is the luckiest dude in the world, as far as, like, being a wrestling fan. Like, he's, this is his job now is hanging out with the voices of his childhood and interviewing them and goofing off and going to Vegas and booking StarCast and stuff like that. Yeah, I it's it's interesting. And, and the fact that his, his father-in-law is Ric Flair, that's even crazier. And it's I, I can't imagine that uh, he really just hit jackpot. And, of course, they're talking about he's doing a one with Arn Anderson now, and that'll be interesting. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting if how that'll work. And if they, everybody talks about, yeah, Arne Anderson's a really funny guy, but if you get him to do it real realistic instead of sort of kayfabe and all this other stuff, I think that could be very interesting because you never know what to expect. Right. It'll be interesting to just see what, you know, Marty Lundy, the real person is like, 
as opposed to the character and and you know it's because you know for me it's like oh man it's it's Arn he's the enforcer he's you know he was just Ric Flair's guy and it's just even though you know obviously he's a real guy and man and he has a family and he has this life outside of wrestling but you see these guys and you in your head it's like you revert back to the 12 year old you and you can't remember oh yeah he's a real person so it'll be cool to see what it's like and I'm excited to see how that kind of plays out and hopefully it's good and he has a lot of cool insights to share and anytime anyone who is close to Flair has a podcast or gets on something and they can kind of share an uncensored uh, story or two I'm down for it and I'm, I'm actually curious if he'll ever talk about the uh, the incident with Sid because that Everybody wants to hear what happens. I mean, I've heard, I think I've heard Vader's incident of it. I've heard uh, Tuchel Scorpio's version of what happened. You know, I want to hear that. I assume that everything's been put to bed. It's been years and, you know, I but I want to hear what his thoughts on that story, what happened and what is true and what isn't. And, you know, I mean, Sid threatened uh, Brian Pillman with the squeegee. So, I mean, I've heard different stories. So... This one would be gold because I, whether he starts off with that, I don't know. But I mean, or I like to hear about the night he knew. That's it. My wrestling career is over because that promo he did on Monday Nitro. There's like maybe two or three other promos that I think of that stick in my head, and I always think of the other one that maybe sticks in my head is on WCW Saturday Night when Dusty Rhodes talked to Dustin and wants him to team up for uh, for War Games, Fall Brawl War Games, and he talks about how the Kennedys were blood, the Earps were blood, the Rose were blood. That's oh, probably man. one of the best ones, which I'm surprised they never used that in that uh, promo package for Cody versus Dustin because when I think of that, that – you do that. You have Dusty's voice in the background, and you do that, and then you have them. Okay, these two guys are fighting for a belt, and that's probably the best. I haven't seen the whole match, but I feel like that might have had Owen Brett vibes just because of just the whole topic right. of the matter. Because, you know, unless you're an only child, everybody's got a sibling that, you know, maybe they don't always see eye to eye with or someone they've always been right. competitive with. And, you know, I can only imagine I'm going to try to find somewhere on the Internet where, you know, the dark regions where someone has a version of that match, even if the video quality is reversed or whatever. Somebody's probably got a, a version of that match on the Internet. Yeah, there's, it, you know, it's funny. Um, I was thinking about you, you were you just kind of mentioned arm and I, I was thinking, you know, in theory, as long as you know, these guys hang around long enough, there's an almost endless supply of wrestlers who can kind of uh, share all these crazy stories. That's It's almost to the point now where that's more entertaining to me than wrestling, is the behind-the-scenes stuff. What did these guys do on the road? You know, What kind of interactions did these guys have when it came to how they felt about creative and this guy's spot versus another guy's spot. And, you know, oh, I didn't want to do a job to this guy or, uh, you know, uh, I'll never put this guy over or, uh, or if, if this guy has to put this person over, then I can, I can't do a job to them. It messes my character up or whatever it might be, but just all the craziness that goes on in the pro wrestling world makes for, it's a, it's a perfect um, source for podcasts. It, there's just so much um, 
emotion and drama and real life craziness that as long as there's somebody from that industry around there's just a mountain of content and of course as long as there's people like you and me and, and all the other crazies that listen to this stuff <laughs> and I think especially looking at dark side of the ring that's a good thing too to tell those stories as well that maybe a lot of people aren't around anymore and those things uh, like looking at the Von Erichs one man it's just you can't think how many disasters that occurred and I mean they lost a brother before he even you know before he even turned five or six and and then right. everything else it's like that's just disaster I mean how yeah it's such a haunting thing but I mean I'm hoping when they come back Hopefully they come back with season two and then there's like millions of stories that they can tell. Everybody's going to want to know the Owen Hart thing. That's going to be the biggest thing. Benoit is going to happen. How they're going to handle telling that story is going to be interesting because that's a really delicate situation. You know, they may tell Eddie Guerrero stuff. They may tell the Brian Pillman. You know, I always hear the story about how Jim Cornette found out that Brian Pillman died and he thought, okay, this is not a funny joke. And then come to find out. Oh my, he died. He actually died. Right. There are plenty of stories that, that could be told that I think a lot of people would be interested in. And just like the Bruiser Brody one, man. And if you aren't angry or mad about what happened with that whole situation, it's, oh. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, or just, you know, like stuff like that. And if you were to just kind of um, take that same scenario and kind of project it into another realm of you know sports or entertainment and you know like if that happened to like jack nicholson or something in some other kind of way people would freak out like, you know it would be a, a huge thing but because it was a professional wrestler it's just this thing that only wrestling fans really know about or whatever and, and nobody really seems nobody outside of that really seems to care and then the fact that it doesn't seem to be as mind-blowing to people around it as i feel like it should be but there's all kinds of weird little quirky stories. They're, they could do something, uh, compile the whole deal with what all those guys did with the Lloyds of London contracts, or the Lloyds of London, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess technically there were contracts that they had, or, um, you know, just, or somebody just kind of uh, did a report or uh, compiled just how many of these guys uh, passed away from specific ailments that, you know, you could contribute to. You know, one of a number of different things. And, you know, when you think about, like for me, um, anybody that knows me or if you just happen to stand next to me long enough, you know how I feel about Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, and, and Rick Rude, and uh, how I didn't even know until maybe five years ago that they were close friends. I had no idea. You know, but those were like two guys I was a huge fan of, and you know, and then the circumstances in which they both passed away, and then the fact that that's you know just now it's just standard issue for guys of that era. But there's so much um, media or content that you can create based on that whole time frame that it's crazy and uh, something that obviously you know podcasters are taking advantage of, and it's cool to just kind of check it all out and listen to it and uh, kind of. Take you get taken back to that era and listen to relive some of that childhood memories and it's fun. It's it's fun and interesting and sad and 
you know, you just run the whole gamut of emotions. It's uh, just like anything else. Strike those emotions and people just get locked in. Excluding the Owen Hart death, what wrestling death really, like, hit you the most? Hmm. That's a tricky one. Um, I would say, um, it would be, yeah, it would be Mr. Perfect. Kurt Hanning, for sure. It just, uh, especially, uh, you know, with how much of a real family guy he was, and how he, you can tell from the other guys, like, just from talking to the other guys, or hearing stories, how beloved he was, and, and you know, and we all know that when, sometimes when people pass away early, everyone kind of glosses over the stuff they didn't like or they forget that stuff. But um, just like a fun-loving guy he was, and all the pranks and stuff, and uh, it just sounds like he was a, a real joy to be around, even if you were the the one that were uh, the target of some of the ribs, but. Um, that was the, that was one of the first ones that really got me. Um, other one that kind of jumped out at me right away was Roddy Piper, because um, he was probably besides Hulk Hogan, he was like the first pro wrestler that I was really a big fan of. Yeah, and because that didn't his happen not that long either before or after Dusty Rhodes had died too. So it's like they were like within a week of each other or so, and it's just absolutely crazy. And I still think about I remember watching the Casas now, or maybe it was Real Sports. They might have had them both because uh, I think they both had uh, Vince McMahon on. But they talk about it. Roddy Piper says, "I'm not going to make it to 65. I'm not going to make yeah. it." And it's absolutely crazy. Then you see them bring it back for that John Oliver interview, and. Man, it's absolutely ridiculous. He he called it, and I mean, it's crazy. Someone always said, "Man, you imagine." Uh, I mean, it had to happen. Him pass away in his sleep due to a heart issue because he surely wouldn't have taken him while he was awake because he would have fought that. And yeah, and it's just man, yeah, it's just crazy because you know I think what a few years ago I always think of that funnier die video he did where he fights childhood obesity and then it's like man he's gone it. it you just can't believe it. I mean, the Randy Savage one was sort of impactful well, because it came out of nowhere. And, you know, right. he finally he, he married his high school sweetheart. He seemed like he was happy. He was retired. He'd do a voiceover here or there. And then, wow, it was just yeah. nuts. Yeah, that, that one. So that was another one I was going to say. And then, you know, the one, I guess maybe one that I kind of think about because you – I guess maybe as a as somebody who was kind of like a secondary personality, and it, it wasn't, you know, you think about like a Miss Elizabeth and the, that the circumstances around that, and you know, and and what's happened with with Lex since then, and all that. And you, if, like I said, that whole world is just a crazy drama-filled world. It's outrageous some of the stuff that has just transpired. It's you know, and but it makes sense because it was this larger than life dramatic thing in front of the camera so you know even if that was only you know 10% crazier than reality in front of the camera then obviously what's going on behind the scenes yeah and the 80s just I mean it seems like it's a perfect playground all the drugs and everything that was going on and the constant working the painkillers and stuff like that it's a perfect recipe for disaster and you know 
going to a whole playing game would be just nuts because there's too many variables and too many things. It's just that was a really interesting time. I mean, it's crazy for every, but for every Mister Perfect and every recruit and for every Road Warrior or Hawk, you have Scott Hall, you have Jake Roberts, who right. surprise. You know, I, I mean, really, the worst thing you probably hear Hulk Hogan had done drug wise other than steroids i mean it's the 80s apparently who probably didn't do coke in the 80s right yeah it's you know i I remember uh i didn't know about the circumstances of jake roberts's birth or his conception until i heard it on you know the bruce richard podcast and and all that and i didn't you know that's one of the top five craziest things i'd ever heard i don't know if you're familiar with that or or what you know, how his father and his mother came to be and all that. I had not heard about that. And surprisingly, I don't know, maybe I just glossed over the Jake Roberts stuff. I don't know. It's nothing against it. It's just like, eh. I was looking at more like the WrestleMania 10s, the WrestleMania 9s, and all those other things. And But yeah, what happened? I'm... So Jake's dad, I uh, cannot remember his name. Uh, Grizzly Smith. At the moment. Grizzly Smith. Yes. Uh, so uh, Grizzly was dating a woman who had a 13-year-old daughter. And Grizzly, uh, one night, uh, sexually assaulted that girl. And the result of that was Jake. Oh, yeah, I had heard that uh, Grizzly Smith was not the most upstanding person in the world, I guess, to use a term because there's plenty of harsher terms to use. But, yeah, oh, man, my goodness. So, you know, you think of what environment that type of situation could create. You think about, so now you think about how Jake's maternal grandmother would feel about his father, how his mom would probably feel about his dad, and then I don't imagine they were, because they weren't very close until he was, well, they were never super close, and they didn't have much of a relationship at all until he was older. So, you know, I'd imagine that can create some issues that, you know, would tend to push someone in a certain direction. Any, And then you combine that with the fact that he's in the industry he was in. So, you know, his substance issues were, you know, if, if you were a gambling person, that the odds on that would be pretty high. Yeah, and the stories you hear about him and Gina Hernandez, the stuff they partook in, and, you know, seeing what Gina Hernandez died of and seeing that documentary where Jake is like, man, we used to party all the time. It's just, like you said, it was was the 80s, and, you know, these guys, you know, a lot of them, especially, you know, the guys that we were looking at on TV were making pretty good money. If, you know, if they were, you know, you're on WWF TV at that time, you're making decent money, pretty good money, even though you were working hard. Um, so, you know, they could probably get their hands on whatever they wanted as much as they wanted. You know, they would talk about even later on, even though they weren't partying super hard, they, you know, I remember Hall and Ash would talk about even they'd show up to WCW TV uh, and Macho Man and Hogan would have coolers of Miller Lights iced down. You know, because they would basically, you know, you remember the NWO time period, Hogan would start the show with a promo, and that's it. He'd work seven minutes or so, and then after that, it's just beer 30 for three hours for him, and that's it. And that would just be the beginning of the night. Man, Hulk Hogan worked less than a Triple H promo, half or three times as less than a Triple H promo on any given night on Monday Night Raw. (laughs) 
So that's 52 nitros a year, give or take. He was making, you know, what, like 20 or we'll call it 15 million. So, yeah, my guy was making like uh, 300 grand a promo. <laughs> Shoot. I just think, man, go there, say seven minutes of a promo, maybe show up at the end of the show. I mean, right. Yeah, it's just crazy. And yeah. Oh, you know what? Another death uh, as we slowly start getting towards wrapping this up. Ultimate Warrior, just the fact that saw him on Monday Night Raw, do that whole promo thing, and the next thing you know, the next day. And Very it's next like day. It, either he was being self prophetic or maybe he knew the deal or maybe he was sicker than he let on to be. But man, that's just crazy. And like, no, I mean, then somebody says, you know, Ultimate Warrior died. No, you're kidding, right? You know, we always heard the rumor, oh, there's two Ultimate Warriors. The first one died. It's sort of like a uh, Paul McCartney rumor, like the first Paul McCartney's been dead for years. It's <laughs> when I heard that, I'm like, no, you're kidding. He, he can't be dead. And then to his day, he was, he was gone. Yeah, that was another one that kind of, because just like you said, I remember his uh, promo after, WrestleMania and 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 then I happened to be uh, looking at Deadspin on my lunch break at work the next day, you know, or that Tuesday, and I'm like, this, you know, this is crazy. It can't be real, but you know, that especially um, coming from that source, I was like, well, this is, you know, it's definitely real. It's outrageous. Um, that was, you know, that one. I wasn't, you know, as emotional about that one. Obviously, you, you you don't wish ill on anybody or anything like that. But I just I didn't have the uh, emotional connection to Warrior as a person, just because some of the stuff that he had said and some of the ideas he shared later on in life. Even though as a kid, I loved the you know talk, if now if it happened in you know 1990, my response would have been way different. Uh, but yeah, he, he just kind of. Uh, it was really shocking, and yeah, it was it was a little creepy when you uh, think about what he said in the promo, and then what happened the next day. You think maybe he knew, maybe he knew that he was on his last legs, and I don't know. It's, uh, but yeah, it, it's that that business is uh, it's a rough one, and you know, you just your longevity just isn't there. It's the fact that Flair, and you know, then of course, I guess it was what uh, TMZ reported that he had some type of issue. It was apparently just a, a regular procedure, but you know, anytime you, anytime I see his name on my Apple News feed, I, I get afraid and freak out. He's, you know, been so close. Yeah, and just even with like Bret Hart having the stroke and and everything else, plus that thing that happened at the Hall of Fame, it's. It's like man, and him having tragedies befall his family and him. It's like man, can't would they just leave Brett alone? Just just let him have yeah. his peace. Yeah, it's you know, to have Owens bad enough, and then you know Goldberg almost killed him. Can the guy catch a break? It's unfortunate, uh, you know. But and I guess it, that's just the you know the cliched nature of the business. One brief thing I I, I I had sort of prefaced it in a previous episode. I was talking with some people about you ever noticed that a lot of maybe boxing and MMA have basically taken some of the things that wrestling did, especially being able to talk people into the building to or talking them into buying the show. And I feel like that is something they don't do as well as wrestling, but they're starting to take some of the old wrestling tricks and use those to really pump up and hype up a lot of their uh, their pay-per-views. 
Well, yeah, just the, I mean, anything from as simple as entrance music, uh, the, the staged animosity at press conferences, even though, you know, obviously in uh, boxing and MMA, it isn't always staged, but sometimes it is. Um, just the way that they package stuff, uh, you know, they, they essentially do the uh, vignettes. <laughs> the, the, the production sometimes reminds me of it. Uh, it it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think if you see a good idea, why not take advantage of it? Um, it's something that other media outlets, you know, other forms of media do all the time. Uh, you know, if at the end of the day, if you can bring that entertainment level up, take advantage of it. I don't, I don't have an issue with it. I think it's pretty cool seeing uh, something that I was into that people would make fun of, or you know, that's kind of this uh, lower brow entertainment in some people's eyes, and then those same people that have that opinion really be into another form of entertainment that took a cue from what I liked and they don't even know. You know, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a cool thing that, Oh yeah, they got that idea from wrestling. I get it. Good job. I, I think about that with uh, our president and some of his behavior. And I'm like, that's, that is 1 million percent. He definitely just cut a promo. No. And he is, <laughs> and he's drawing heat. On CNN, but it's a it's a cheap pop at the rally. <laughs> they always say any publicity is good one. Any publicity is a good one, good or bad. But you know, no publicity. That as they call it, last thing you want is X Pac heat in real life. That's all. That's the last thing you want. You don't want to come out there and nobody care about you because you know it's just like the guy James Holtzauer on Jeopardy. I mean, I honestly was fascinated by watching him the way he played because, yeah, it's like watching a craftsman at work. He put in the work. Some people didn't like the way the game was played. I mean, honestly, there was no set rule saying you have to go up and down the board at all. No, right. there was never that. Maybe some categories may necessitate you to go up and down the board because they may have like a chain of clues where you need it to the end to get it to the end, but. I don't see anything wrong with the way he played, and not everybody's going to be the same. I just think I just started getting back into this kick of like watching my old sports jeopardies, and the biggest thing I noticed, I didn't go up and down the board either. I just went here, there, here, there. I wasn't thinking anything of it. It's sort of the subconscious right. thing where, eh, you know, I always see people go up and down, but I'm like, oh, I'll just go to a high value thing, not thinking of daily double. And I just, if that was just a crazy experience too, and I always feel like. Talking about that, one thing I always say, I don't want to feel like Howard Wallowitz and feel like, oh, yeah, I was an astronaut. I don't want to say, oh, yeah, I was just on a game show. Cool. I don't want that to be, you know, my whole life thing. Like, oh, yeah, he was an astronaut. It was a pretty cool thing, man. Um, I remember when I found out about it. So if, if anything, anyone that knew me was annoyed because I was telling them about it. Like, you didn't have to say anything. Um, and I, I remember... Uh, so I actually, um, I saw our, she would have been our fourth grade teacher. So her name's Miss Chandler now, but it was Miss Moore at the time. Okay. 
And uh, I think this was right. It couldn't have been more than a month after your run. And because I just said something to someone else about it, and I was like, "Oh yeah," she, she was like, "Oh yeah, have you, you know, how have you been? I haven't seen you in forever." Yada yada yada. You know, you know, who do you keep up with? Who have you seen? And I was like, "I haven't seen him in a while," but um, Earl just uh, kicked ass on Sports Jeopardy. She was like, "Oh wow, that's really neat." And uh, so, but yeah, for, for forever, I was like, yeah. and I was also it kind of like inspired me because I was like, I want to check it out. Like I want to. You know, as a big sports fan, you always want to test your metal. And as a, someone who's kind of a, a competitive person by nature, um, I was like, man, I, I just want to see if I could even get on there. Uh, I don't even think it's active now. I don't know if I don't. I haven't seen anything about it. I don't know if they're yeah, they filming have, it or anything current. They have not, to my knowledge. I was at that last taping session, and the show went on hiatus. And at one point, they pulled off the episodes off Crackle, and that's what necessitated me. Like, man, most of these people probably don't even know about the show. There's probably a lot of people who didn't know about the show, and just all of a sudden heard, "Wow, they got a sports version of Jeopardy," and it was just crazy. And the biggest thing was, I was like. Well, I, I'm, thankfully I got the episodes because I don't call it being narcissistic. I just like I want to be able to keep that my dad doesn't do internet. My my dad doesn't do any internet at all. It'd be nice to show him. So I end up having the episodes and and I basically like have them. And I just started recently uploading them on the internet, not challenging Sony's copyright. I just like it'd be nice for people to see, and it'd be a nice way to link back right. those episodes because I'm, I'm going to get back into blogging about that whole experience because it's very interesting and it's not like I'm giving away any trade seekers everybody knows you know, like if you're on Jeopardy or people who've been on Jeopardy any variation of it even rock and roll Jeopardy what it's like it's uh, it's very interesting and you know and the biggest thing about that is there's always going to be two losers so you have a 33% chance of winning and because I'm always I always see it like this is 50 50 either it's going to happen or it's not. And in that case, there's an example of you got a one out of three shot. Either you're going to win or the two out of three shot where you're probably going to fail. And it happens. And I thought it was a pretty cool experience. And yeah, I mean, and when it's all said and done, I'm not sad that, hey, you know what? I look back at it and I always tell people this and some people I, I haven't been able to experience it. I'm going to write it down, but going into that final Jeopardy on my last show, I'm, I talked to one of the production assistants and I'm like, you know what? Whatever happens, I'm at peace. That's all it is. You know what? I played as hell of a good of a game as I could and it came down to final Jeopardy. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the meant to be, but shoot, being number two all time on, on a show that probably unless they come back out of nowhere, that's pretty good. It'd be nice they do like right. a tournament of champions or something if it comes back. But you know, if it if it never comes back, I'm happy where I'm at. I honestly, mathematically, even if I won that game and won the last game of that taping session, I would probably never have another chance to, to catch the winner, Vinny, who who won 15 in a row. You know, right? I, I I can't feel bad about that. It'd be nice to say I'm still the reigning sports Jeopardy champion. You can't beat me because <laughs> of course I, they couldn't beat me because it'll <laughs> never come back. But yeah, you still went out there. It was a great experience, a super unique experience. Um, it, I think that was a, a really awesome thing to just. Not only is it awesome for you that you were able to do all that, I think it was perfect that you're the one that was able to do that because then you're in a position to share that with as many people as you have. And I just, it was um, it was a really cool thing to kind of 
hear all of that and almost kind of go through it with you and follow you while you went through that. And it was, I was really, uh, it was really exciting and I was proud. I was like, man, this is this guy I've known my whole life. I kind of grew up with this guy and, and to see him do this, um, really interesting, unique thing that, you know, what maybe a couple hundred people tops have ever done. That's awesome. You know, and that's something you should be proud of. I, you know, you, I, I would tell people about that all the time. They'd be sick of it. I wouldn't be hesitant to share that. Or, you know, especially if you're out in uh, a setting and people are kind of talking about sports or whatever, or if by some chance like Dan Patrick was to come up or something like that, whatever it may be. It, I think it was a, it was a, just really awesome. And hopefully it comes back. I, I love the show anyway. Um, if any, I like Jeopardy. I like sports. So obviously, Sports Jeopardy was a natural thing. I'm surprised. I don't know what. I don't know if maybe enough people weren't watching or what the issue was, but uh, I'm, I'm surprised that it's not a show anymore. I was, and obviously disappointed because I think it's a great thing, um, or any game show really. Because any, anything that allows me to compete with somebody that's sitting on the couch next to me, <laughs> or in the bar, or wherever we may be. I'm all for it. <laughs> I can tell you this. If you ever get a chance to get on Jeopardy, the biggest thing that they look for, of course, personality. That's the biggest thing. Knowledge, personality, and being able to play the game well. Those are the three biggest things that um, that you always have to go into. Sometimes you have very introverted people. Sometimes you have really outgoing people that can do it. It's all about being able to master the game and, you know, Great personality. I know that sometimes nowadays you see, I haven't watched The Wall, which basically called Million Dollar Plinko, but The Wall, I mean, feel like sometimes you get a lot of super, super sob stories and things like that, which is like, okay, it's one thing when I've heard a story like that before, but when you hear it again, it's like, eh, okay. I mean, there, there's probably millions of people who have the same problem that you have. And when you start putting that, the sob story, you're like, eh, like, but I mean, and I'm not going to put it like this. Everybody has something wrong. And right. your circumstances might not be the same as somebody else's, but that doesn't make them any, uh, any more or less uh, relevant than, than what right. somebody else is going through. Somebody else who may grow up illiterate, all this other stuff. And yeah, that that's really bad stuff. Man, not compared to the couple who's trying to conceive and, and hasn't had luck, but stuff like that happens. Right. Yeah, I mean that's 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 part of life. Unfortunately, we all are going to experience some type of challenge or whatever it may be. You know, and that for it to be kind of, I almost don't like it being included in that type of a setting. You know, kind of because it, it kind of changes the whole dynamic. It takes, I think, it takes away from the fun of the game and, and all that. Yeah, I'd rather have somebody who goes and does soup kitchens and, and helps the homeless and all that other stuff. You know what? Let that person get on there because they've done a show. They've surely done a hell of a lot more to contribute to society than I have because, honestly, somebody like that deserves a chance to win a million dollars because they've done right. so much as it is. Right. But, uh, Mike, I do appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. One thing before I go, what are ways people can reach out to you? Uh, I'm not sure how big you are on social media. I know, of course, you're on Facebook. But are you else, Are you anywhere else on social media? Yeah, so I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, both of those are at M-I-Gordy2, uh, M-I-G-O-R-D-Y, and then the number two. Um Obviously, I'm always uh, promoting Eastsiders. Um, 
just to be a part of a startup and to watch this company uh, kind of grow from this little uh, cidery that essentially operated out of a shipping container into uh, you know a semi-regional uh, company where the number eight company uh, in the country for our uh, category uh, in four years time frame is has been huge. Uh, I'm proud of what we've accomplished, and uh, I just think it's a it's I'm just really excited about what we have ahead of us and some of the cool stuff we're doing, um, especially if you're in Austin or if you're in anywhere in Texas or nearby, uh, come check the tasting room out. We're always doing unique things, just one-offs. Uh, we did a cider with electrolytes a couple weeks ago. We partnered with Onnit. That's uh, Joe Rogan's company. Like they, you know, they focus on like human optimization. They have all kinds of cool uh, products available. But uh, yeah, we did a, uh, Electrolyte cider to kind of combat any potential hangover or any uh, B vitamin shortfalls that you might have or dehydration you might get from drinking. Uh, at, at a, my bold prediction for the next uh, 18 months is you're going to see that in beer and al other alcoholic beverages. You're going to see al electrolytes in alcohol to help people not get dehydrated and kind of fight their hangovers. Um, that's my that's my only bold prediction for the year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, it, I've, I've, I'm out here on social media with all kinds of stuff. Obviously, Earl knows it's mostly going to be sports. Um, I always reach out. My big message for anyone that's listening or that I interact with is to be uh, kind of mindful. I think with as busy as all of us are and everything we do, we kind of are not present. No one gives all their attention to who's in front of them and what's in front of them the way we should. At least I don't think so. Uh, I think all of us should do a better job, myself included, of focus on the task that's right in front of you, whether it's driving or dinner with your family. Put your phone down. Put whatever you're preoccupied with out of your mind and just enjoy that moment, whatever it might be with your friends, your family, your coworkers, whoever. That's just me, That's, and you'll see it on my social media all the time, you know, just kind of expressing yourself, getting back to, to just being a, somebody who shares, you know, what you enjoy with life with the people you enjoy to be around. Well, Mike, I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you back again. We'll talk a little more about MMA, even though it's a little out of my realm, but I always think it's very interesting to get out of the comfort zone and talk a little more about stuff that you may not have much of a knowledge on just to to see maybe maybe i might know more than i actually think i do because <laughs> i don't watch it enough but it would be something very interesting to talk about as well absolutely man thanks for having me uh enjoy talking to you uh can't wait to catch up with you some more and um good luck with everything man i'll keep my eye out on the blogs and hopefully some vlogs soon too and that was my interview with Mike Gordy. If you know anyone who might find this episode of interest, don't forget to share. Next time, my guest will be sportscaster Spencer Tillis of KTVE and KARD in West Monroe, Louisiana. We'll talk about how he got into broadcasting, the unique presentation that led to his first job, and what it was like building a TV station sports department from the ground up. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeart app, or wherever else podcasts are heard. 
Don't forget to check out excerpts from previous episodes on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge Podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.